Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we continue our study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with another installment of Tough Truths. Here, we discover Jesus correcting a Pharisaical view of how a Christian is to deal with enemies. Is it right to only love those who are like us and to hate our enemies? Or does the scripture call for a more radical response in dealing with those who despise us? Let's find out together. Turn your Bible to Matthew 5, 43-48 as we listen in on the believer and his relationships. From Pastor David Wilson. Aren't you thankful that he has made a way for us? It's amazing how many people today will attend a church service or do something religious in order to try to make a way for themselves. But I hope you know the difference between somebody who has a relationship with God and somebody who's just religious. There are a lot of religious people in the earth, on the earth today. They, they may not be following the God that you and I follow, the one true God, but they are religious. When Jesus was on this earth, he was speaking to a group of very religious people. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount really begins by talking to them about having a relationship with God. At that time, the, the scribes and the Pharisees had made it in such a way that they were, they were reinterpreting Scripture, some of the Old Testament Scriptures, trying to make it easy for them to be religious. Now, the people of that day thought they were the ultimate well, Jesus begins to speak. He says, listen, there's a difference between a relationship, a heart relationship with God and religious activity. And so he begins by saying, if you're going to come to God, you come spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer God. You, you don't have any extra credit. You don't come to God saying, well, you know, I've got a little salvation credit. I'd like to cash in for the rest of it. No, you come to God with nothing. And he forgives you. He saves you. And then he mentions a couple of metaphors. He said, you're to be the salt and the light. You're going to make a difference in the, on the earth. You're going to, to be the, the gospel that is seen around the world. And then he comes back to the heart. And in, in, in the end of chapter 5, which I've entitled Tough Truth, he basically comes back and uses some illustrations to show that the people who thought they were very religious because they did all of these activities, really they were far from God. He talks about murder and hatred. He talks about the sanctity of life. He talks about the sanctity of marriage and adultery and divorce. He talks about our spiritual integrity, that you're, what you speak ought to be true. He, he even talks about how when we are done wrong, how are we going to handle that when we were insulted. And then we come to this last illustration of these six. And as we begin next Sunday in chapter, uh, chapter six of Matthew, we're going to see how this is exhibited on the outside, how we live this out. But look at verse 43 of chapter five. And Jesus, just like he starts the other illustrations, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, wouldn't you like to tear that out of the Bible? I mean, you know, that doesn't come naturally, does it? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even tax collectors or Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're going to need some help with this. Let's pray. Lord, this does not come naturally to us. We know it only comes through the supernatural power of your Spirit living in us. So we pray that people would come to know you, that people would have victory in their life. We pray that people would leave their hate in this room. And only with your help can we do that, Lord. And it is in your name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. A lot of people today have the same idea of a little boy. When they think about the commands of God, a little boy and his sister were playing out in the yard. And they lived next to a lady who was pretty hateful. She was always mean and she was always criticizing them and finding fault with them. And one day she had just said something to them and the little boy said, I just hate her. And his sister was shocked. She said, oh, no, no, no. The Bible says we must love everyone. And he said, yeah, but old Miss so-and-so wasn't born when that was written. (laughs) One Sunday, a pastor was preaching on forgiving your enemies. And at the end of his sermon... He decided to see how effective it was. And he says, how many of you today have decided to forgive your enemies? About half the congregation raised their hand. So he thought, well, I didn't get my message across. So he went 20 more minutes preaching. And then he said, now how many of you are going to forgive your enemies? And about 80% raised their hand. So he went 15 more minutes. Now how many of you are going to forgive your enemies? And everyone raised their hand because they knew they needed, they better vote or they're not ever going to get out of there. And one little lady right in the middle didn't raise her hand. And he pointed around. He said, Miss Jones, are you going to be the only one in this room that doesn't forgive their enemies? And she said, no, sir, I don't have any enemies. He said, I want you to come up here to the front. How old are you, Miss Jones? I'm 93 years old. Well, I want you to tell this congregation how you've lived 93 years and you don't have an enemy in this world. She said, that's easy. I've outlived all of them. (laughs) You may not outlive your enemies, but Jesus said, you're supposed to outlove your enemies. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is not easy truth to absorb. In fact, all of us in here are going to have some convictions. All of us in here are going to find that this is hard to live out. And so let's look at what Jesus had to say when he talks about our relationships with other people. Again, we go back to the heart. Now, I began by by mentioning what Jesus, he always said what they'd been taught. 
You know, you have heard that it was said. He always begins these illustrations that way. And the scribes and the Pharisees were always reinterpreting things to make it fit. And so that's why he begins by stating what I call the rules that have been modified because they always modified them. Religious people want to reinterpret scripture so that it will fit their lifestyle. Now, you can find a church today that will fit the lifestyle that you've already chosen to live, and they will, they will twist scripture to make it work. And so the religious leaders of this age, of this time, where Jesus was saying, well, they're telling you part of the truth, but they've modified it. And he begins by communicating the tradition that they had been given. He said, you have heard it said. This is what you're being taught by these people that you think are the most religious people that you know. You shall love your neighbor. Well, now, folks, that's true. That is in the Old Testament. But that's not all there is. You see, a little truth can make the deception more acceptable. And a lot of people today will use just enough truth to make you believe the rest of what they're saying is also accurate. It is true that in Leviticus 19.18, it says, you shall love your neighbor. But it also says, as yourself. And then that's repeated in Matthew and Mark and Luke and Romans and Galatians and James. Love for others has always been the standard for God's people. God's always said to love other people. He said, Israel, you're going to be a nation that will love other nations. And he gives some examples in Deuteronomy and Exodus in Deuteronomy. For example, he said, if your fellow countrymen, if you find an animal that is owned by one of your fellow countrymen, an ox or a donkey or a goat or a sheep, he said, you are to return it to your fellow countrymen. Or if you find an animal, then you don't know who it belongs to. You're supposed to take care of it until you find the owner of it. He said, if one of the, your fellow countrymen's animals is injured, you're to help them if they need help getting that animal out of the ditch or whatever. But then he goes on to say, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey, wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. You mean I've got to help the enemy? Now, the enemy he's talking about here is not an enemy that you meet on the battlefield. We're not talking about a war here. We're talking about somebody that is either a fellow countryman or a foreigner that you're not at war with and as a nation. You know what I'm talking about? You guys that met on the battlefield, that's not what we're talking about. He's talking about somebody that just doesn't like you or you don't like them. He said, if you find their animal, you're supposed to return it to them. It never says, hate your enemy. God never said that, ever. Now, the word neighbor, they like that word. Because the, the word neighbor here, love your neighbor, means somebody who's close to you. A.T. Robertson, who, who is a, a Greek scholar, he said the word literally means nigh bore. They are nigh to you. They are close to you. You all have people that you'll consider neighbors or that you'll consider friends. In fact, you probably would agree. I don't know who wrote this, but it, it says this. 
Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else. Confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink, look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. There are a lot of people who believe that. That was probably on hanging on the wall of the Jewish Chamber of Commerce. Because they, both, they taught you only love your neighbor, those who agreed with you, those who thought like you, those who looked like you and ate as you ate. That was the communicated tradition. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We would agree with that today. I doubt, seriously, I'm surprised somebody didn't say amen. But then Jesus basically spotted the problem here. Because see, what they were teaching, I call it this, a calculated twist of Scripture here. You see, there was some subtraction and addition to this. I've already mentioned to you, they subtracted as yourself. You will love your neighbor as yourself. They took that out. Now, they knew how to love themselves. In fact, the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they love to be honored and praised and thanked and respected. They believe they deserve it. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, verse 11, you find the Pharisee who thanked God in his prayer that he was, quote, not like other people. I'm better than they are. I, I thank God that I'm not a Gentile. I thank God that I'm, I'm not like those other people. And this basically is our heritage, isn't it? Did you have to be taught to love yourself? You ever been a baby? Most of you came as a baby. Some of you may have come from another planet, but some of you came, most of you came as a baby. You came into the world all about you. One thing about babies, we love them, but they're all about themselves. They don't care what you're doing when they want something. A lot of people never grow out of that. They're all about themselves. In fact, I would dare to say that some of you, when you came to church today, probably were thinking, I hope nobody's in my seat. I hope nobody parked in my parking place. I hope the music's not too loud. I hope it's not too cold. I hope it's not too long and so forth. We're all about ourselves. When can I get out of here? We know all about self-love, but you know what? The Pharisees knew all about that, but they sure were not going to love someone like they loved themselves. No way. You're out of your mind. So they twisted it. They took it out. But along with that subtraction, they added to it. You've heard it said, Jesus said, they've been communicated to you. You'll love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, it goes without saying that the Gentiles were not considered neighbors to the Jewish people. In fact, one of the saying of the Pharisees that was discovered read like this, and I read it. If a Jew sees a Gentile fallen into the sea, let him by no means lift him out, for it is written, Thou shalt not rise up against the blood of thy neighbor, but this man is not your neighbor. 
In other words, they didn't like anyone except people like them or fellow countrymen. You know, the Romans even had a cliche that said that the Jews hate the whole human race, which is not true. But the idea was from these religious people that if you're not like us, we do not like you. We hate you. In fact, they thought it was their job to hate the enemy. Now, folks, I want to tell you today, there's a lot of hatred in the world. There's not much middle ground anymore. You either force somebody or you hate them. Why can't we have a civil conversation and still disagree on some things? It doesn't mean you've got to hate somebody. In fact, Jesus pretty much comes along and, and changes all of that. And they thought he was out of his mind. Because what Jesus does, he takes those responsibilities and he magnifies them and then mandates them to his people. You can imagine, I'm a pretty religious person. I love my neighbor and I hate my enemies. But then Jesus comes along and says some really extreme things. The scribes and Pharisees were proud. They were prejudiced. They were judgmental. They were spiteful. And they probably thought he was out of his ever-loving mind. But notice that Jesus does several things. He first tells us that we're supposed to expand the limits of our love. Not just people like you. Not just people who agree with you. Not just people who are going to like you back. In fact, he says in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. I'm reminded of a poem written by an eight-year-old boy. It goes like this. We have the nicest garbage man. He empties out our garbage can. He's just as nice as he can be. He always stops and talks to me. My mother doesn't like his smell, but then she doesn't know him very well. Now, when it comes to God's love, when it comes to God's love, God loves all people regardless of their smell, regardless of their outlook, regardless of where they're going. Think about where you were before you met Jesus. You weren't very loving, were you? And so Jesus takes this and tells us to expand the limits. But but notice what he says. First of all, you're supposed to have unconditional love. Love your enemies. Well, the Old Testament concept of a neighbor included enemies, personal enemies. How do you know that? You remember when a lawyer came to Jesus and asked him, who is my neighbor? This is in Luke chapter 18, I think, or Luke 16, excuse me. Actually, it's in Luke 10. I'll get it right here in just a minute. (laughs) Luke chapter 10, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the account of who? The good Samaritan. And the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans, and and. Uh, The Samaritans hated the Jews. And yet the point of that story 
It's not necessarily who is my neighbor, which he said, even a Samaritan is your neighbor. But the point of that account is that God's requirement for us as neighbors is to do whatever to help somebody in need, to do what we can when they're in need. Now, the human tendency is to base love on the desirability of the person. We like people who think like us, don't we? We love people who look like us and who eat like us. But true love is not desire-oriented, it's need-oriented. The Good Samaritan demonstrated that love's question is never who to love, but how to love another person. Now, before you get too upset, let's talk about love. You know there are four different words in the New Testament that are translated love. And we get all mixed up because we just have one word for love. We talk about loving football, loving our wife, loving ice cream, loving our pets, loving our church, all the same love. But there are four different words in the New Testament. One of them is brotherly love. We get the word Philadelphia from that. Phileo, we get that word brotherly love. There's a love for family love. There's a love also eros, which is erotic or sensual or desire. And by the way, that word eros is never used in the New Testament. Doesn't mean it's, it's not a word, but it's just not used in the New Testament. But then the word agape, which is the word that you knew we were going to get to, is the kind of word that it's the kind of love that God has for mankind. Now, if you follow Jesus and you've committed your life to him and his spirit lives in you, which, you, which he is the guarantee of our salvation, the down payment, he's, he lives in us, then God's love is now in you. And that makes you love differently. Amen? That was a safe place to say it. I'm just going to let you know. And the word enemy that he uses here, love your enemies. It's the word, if, if, if that verb, if that word is used as a verb, it means somebody that is, uh, is hostile and hates you. If it's used as a noun, it, it's, it's an adversary or a rival. In fact, the word describes more than a mild dislike for someone. It, it's somebody that you have the most utmost hatred for. It, it's a deep, dark, hostile hatred of another person. Ann Landers in one of her columns said, hate is like acid. It can damage the vessel in which it is stored as well as to destroy the object on which it is poured. Someone else said, hate is like burning down your own house to get rid of a mouse. What's sad to me is that there are many people who sit in church every week whose spiritual life is in shambles because of the deep hatred that they harbor in their heart. Now, all of us in here are guilty. Let's just get that out on the table. We're all guilty. I mean, I could name you some names of some people that I look forward to the day that they're not around anymore. I'm not going to name them, but you would recognize some of them. Not in the church, by the way. These are not, they're not in the, let me make that clear. <laughs> there used to be some folks like that, but they're gone now. 
seriously, all of us have, have strong emotions about this, don't we? Well, there's some folks that I just don't like. Well, I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to think of somebody right now that you do not like. Maybe you would even use the word hate. Now, don't, don't name them. and We're not going to make you raise your hand. But when Jesus came to the disciples... One of the times he said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And right before he said that to them, he washed their feet. And and when he was washing their feet, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They were a bunch of, of... neurotic fishermen, you know, I mean, I, I, I am a fisherman, so I can talk about them. They, they weren't neurotic, but they were selfish and they were all about themselves. And then Jesus says, I've given you a new commandment that you love one another. Kent Hughes in a book that he wrote entitled the sermon on the Mount says, this is amazing teaching to the man on the street. The mere idea of loving his enemies is absurd. It's offensive and beyond his capability. And it offends his natural sense of right and wrong. To those under the Old Testament law, the idea of loving one's enemy was completely contrary to their perception of God's law, which they thought required rejection and hatred of enemies. Jesus commanded a love without limits that loves everyone regardless of what they say or do to us. Now, have you thought of that person yet? Somebody that you just do not like. You might even say you hate them. Now, I want you to listen to the words recorded by by Paul to the Corinthians. We call it the love chapter, and we like that chapter because we always think of somebody we already like. You know, it's not hard to love somebody that you like or love somebody that loves you back. But I want you to think about the person that you hate. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I can only speak for myself, but I find it extremely difficult to exhibit this to somebody who hates me or tries their best to hurt me. But then I'm reminded, I'm reminded of what Jesus has done. God, Romans tells us, God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, we were hostile toward him. That Jesus died for us. The wages of sin is death. Someone has to die. Jesus died for us. 
when we were even hostile toward God. If it weren't for God's love, we would have no hope. Again, some of us sort of think, well, I was born with a little extra credit. My dad was a preacher. I go to church. I've been in church all my life. Nine months before I was born, I attended church. And so we kind of get this idea, well, you know, it's not as hard for God to love me as it is so-and-so over here. I mean, after all, I mean, there's Ken Carter over there. It's easier for me, God, to love me than Ken. Ken's one of my best friends on our staff. But, but do you understand? Some people sort of think, well, you know what? I've, I've never been one of those big down-in-the-gutter type sinners. So it was a little easier for God to love me. No. You were separated from God just like everyone else. And God loved you. Hmm. So what seems impossible for me, because now he has forgiven me, and now that he lives inside of me, I can have a total love for mankind. Agape love is not emotional. It can have some emotions with it. But agape love is not based on emotions. It's based on the will. I choose to demonstrate love towards somebody that doesn't even like me. And I want to tell you, that does not come naturally, does it? But Jesus not only says that, you need to have unhindered love. Bless those who curse you. The word curse means to doom somebody. And let me put it in West Texas English. It means when somebody cusses you up one side and down the other. They want the ultimate hostility toward you. And then the Lord has the audacity to say, I want you to bless them. The word bless is the word eulageo. We get our word eulogize or eulogy. You hear a eulogy at a funeral when whoever's speaking says some nice things about the person who died, even if they have to make it up. <laughs> Trust me, I know. Some are easier to talk about than others. You're going, man, I got to dig deep here. So y'all would do me a favor before you die. If you'd write some nice things about you so I don't have to dig it up. <laughs> but seriously, we're supposed to speak kindly towards somebody who cusses us? Really? Hmm. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3, 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. During the Civil War, R.G. Lee, General Robert E. Lee, was speaking in complimentary terms about a fellow officer. He was saying nice things. One of the soldiers came up to General Lee and said, General, do you know that that man you speak so highly of is one of your worst enemies? 
and that he never misses an opportunity to slander you. And Lee said, yes, I know that, but I was asked for my opinion of him, not his opinion of me. We need to be like the little boy who was approached by three bullies on the playground. These guys were big enough to obliterate him, basically, and they'd already made the threat that they were going to do so. And this little boy wasn't too well qualified to fight, but he did think well. And with this in mind, he backed up dramatically and he drew a line in the dirt and he looked at the biggest bully. All three of them were bigger than him. He looked at the biggest one, the ringleader, and he said, I dare you to step across that line. Of course, this big guy, he looked him back with a smirk on his face and he stepped across the line and, and the little boy looked up at him and he said, now... You and I are on the same side. (laughs) Speak. Doesn't mean you have to disagree with somebody. Do you know you can disagree with someone and not attack them personally? We haven't learned that. The the social media hadn't learned that. You know, and, and we're so good about really getting after somebody if they say something ugly to us. But we're to speak kindly. Hmm. It gets worse. (laughs) Do good to those who hate you. The word hate, we get our root word for misery from it. It's the strongest, most expressive word in the Greek language for detesting someone. Somebody that absolutely loathes you, hates you, do good to them. Do good goes beyond words. It's, a, it's action. Romans 12, 20 says, therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall keep heap coals of fire on his head. Well, I like that coals of fire on his head. I hope he burn up. But really and truly, he's saying, if there's ever a group of people that are going to demonstrate God's love, it's going to be Christians. Doesn't mean you have to like them. But it means you can be kind and not rude to have an undeniable love and the way that we treat people, the treatment of people. We can be respectful. We can be kind. We can hold our tongue. I told you last week, you know, that turn the other cheek thing doesn't mean that you're a doormat and you can't defend yourself. It all had to do with insulting somebody. Because to hit somebody on the right cheek, right-handed, you had to backhand somebody, which means you insulted them. The greatest insult you could give someone was to backhand somebody. He said, when you do that, you don't respond in kind. To do good to somebody who doesn't like you. Only Jesus in you can help you do that. Because it sure doesn't come naturally. 
But that would show an undeniable love of God in your life if you were to be kind to somebody who hates you. And then Jesus also mentions an unlimited love in your thoughts. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. How am I supposed to pray for them? I know how to pray for them. Lord, I pray that you just obliterate them. If we're truthful, that's how we would pray. The word who spitefully use you means to slander or insult or falsely accuse. The word persecute speaks of, it's a hunting term. It speaks of an enemy pursuing its prey. And the goal of the predator was to kill and to destroy. So Lord, how am I supposed to pray for them? I got amused at a little girl who was misbehaving at the supper table. And so her dad punished her by making her eat by herself in the corner of the dining room. Family paid no attention to the little pouting girl until they heard her pray, Dear Lord, thank you for preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. (laughs) You know, Jesus is not telling us to pray for their demise. In fact, when they were persecuting Jesus or they were putting him on the cross, what did he keep praying? Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And what about when Stephen was being stoned? He prayed, Father, forgive them. I want to tell you something. You may not be able to stop people from talking about you, but they cannot stop you from talking to God about them. Pray for them. We're going to see in chapter 6 how to pray. We're going to spend a little time there talking about how to pray. But see, Jesus said, listen, you've been told love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But we're going to expand the limits of that. What happens in verse 45? It says you begin to exhibit the life change that you have in Jesus that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sins rain on the just and the unjust. Hmm. The phrase that you may be is better translated that you may approve yourselves to be. The idea is not if I'm kind to my enemies that I may become a child of God. It's written in such a way that because you know Jesus, now you have the ability to be kind to others. He said when you respond instead of reacting to those people, you are exhibiting something that's different about you. Ladies and gentlemen, if if the world is going to find out about the love of God, they're going to find it out through us, the children of God. We're the only ones. Love makes a person like God because God loves all people. That's why he uses that analogy. God lets the sun shine on the just and the unjust. And God lets it rain on the just and the unjust. And God's love is toward all people. Not all people are going to respond to him. Someone put it this way. There are five gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. 
because the world is going to see the love of God through his children. And I've got to tell you that we're not always loving people. I have told you before in all the years of my ministry that the meanest people on earth are religious people. I didn't say Christians because you can be religious without being a Christian. The most loving people on earth are true Christ followers. Because why? Because he's exhibited that love toward, toward us. He also said that this kind of love exceeds the law that you've been taught. Look, he said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only with what, and if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Don't even the Gentiles do that? Now, the Jewish people, if you really wanted to get down to the, the lowest of the low, you went to the tax collectors, the publicans. And you went to the, to the Gentiles. He said, if you just are kind to people who are kind to you, and if you just respond to people who respond nicely to you, you're, he, said, he said, even the tax collectors or the, 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 the lowest of the low do that. Everybody's kind to people who are kind to them. But you're different. The reason you're different is because Jesus lives in you. Your heart is right with God. That's why you can do what he's asked you to do. Religious people can't do it. And finally, when you live this way, you will be exemplifying the Lord. He said, therefore, in verse 48, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, when you and I think of perfect, we think of absolute flawlessness. Obviously, God is that way, but you and I are not that way. The word perfect speaks of maturing. You're still a work in progress and you're maturing. But the more mature you become in your walk with Jesus, the more loving you're going to be able to give the more you'll be able to love your enemies and bless those that curse you and do good to those that hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. A spiritually immature person can't do this. Only the power of the Holy Spirit through you can do this. Now, now folks, listen. We still have strong feelings we still have strong convictions. We still have strong, um, strong areas of our life. Doesn't mean that you're changing any convictions. I don't change my convictions. But just because a person may be living a life that is contrary to the word of God and, and, and acting in a way that is contrary to the word of God does not give me the right to be rude and hateful. Because if they're ever going to come to know Jesus, they've got to see that something's different. Amen? Amen. We can have strong convictions. We can, we're supposed to stand for righteousness. We are the salt and the light. We're supposed to stand for what's right. But we need to stand with the attitude that these people, if they ever come to know Jesus, 
it's going to change their life. True story, 1994, Associated Press article, September of 1994, Cindy Hartman of Conway, Arkansas, walked into her house to answer the phone and confronted a burglar. He ripped the phone cord out of the wall and ordered her into a closet. And as Cindy dropped to her knees and asked the, she asked the burglar if she could pray for him. And she looked at him and said, I want you to know that God loves you and I forgive you also. The burglar apologized. He yelled out the door to a woman in a pickup truck. We've got to unload all of this. This is a Christian home and a Christian family. We cannot do this to them. And as Hartman remained on her knees, the burglar returned the furniture he had taken from her home. He took the bullets out of his gun and handed the gun to Cindy Hartman and walked out of the house. Two weeks later, a knock came to the front door of the Hartman residence. And when Cindy opened the door, she was confronted with the same man who had held her at gunpoint two weeks earlier. But this time, the man wanted what Cindy had and had prayed for him that night. And this time, he was the one kneeling on the floor, calling on God to save him. Don't ever underestimate the power of God to change a life. It's all about Jesus. Joining a church won't change your life. The water in the baptistry won't change your life. Growing up in church doesn't necessarily change your life because I've met a lot of people who've been in church all their life. And never had a relationship with Jesus. You see, there's a difference in knowing Jesus and being a professional churchgoer. I know what I'm talking about. Nobody's more professional in churchgoing than me. I know all the lingo. I know all the choreography. I know all the rooms. I know it all. That sounds bad. I know a lot about church. I don't know it all. Please forgive me. What I'm trying to tell you is I went to church a long time. I even had extra credit. My dad's a preacher. We not only there when the church doors were open, we were there when the church doors were closed. We had the keys. But I want to tell you, nothing changes your life until you realize I may look good on the outside religiously, but my heart is far from God. And so you ask God to forgive you. You repent of your sin. You ask God to forgive you. And the cool thing is he will. Why? I don't know why, but he will. And Jesus died on the cross, the sinless one. He never sinned. That's why we sing about his blood. It atoned. It was sinless blood that atoned, paid the price for our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you pray and you ask Christ to come into your life and you commit your life to him. And you know what? You'll be so excited about what Jesus has done in your life and forgiven you of your sin and given you a new heart that you want other people to know. That's when you get in the baptistry because it looks like the burial and resurrection of Christ, but it's also a picture of what's happened to you. You've been given a new life in Jesus. You want everybody to know.
And guess what else? When you find Jesus, you're going to love his people. You want to be part of a church. Oh, why? All these people in here are flawed, me included. We have warts. Listen, I've been here 28 years. I know some of these people. But you know what's, you know what's different about us? We're forgiven. We're saved by grace, forgiven. If you don't know Jesus, what are you waiting on? Only he will change your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Just a couple of more minutes and we're going to be gone. For those of you who've never prayed to receive Christ, you do not have to join our church to receive Christ. In a moment, there'll be some men standing here to pray with you. If there's a commitment on your heart, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you stand up here. But if you need to know Jesus, we would love to sit down with you just outside the door here and talk to you about knowing Christ. For those of you who know Jesus, right now, there is somebody that you absolutely cannot stand. I want you to start praying for them. Because you may not change them, but God will change you. Maybe you need to leave it right here in the seat. Lord, I need to leave all this hatred I've got right here. Heavenly Father, we pray for those today who need you. You've convicted all of us of our sin, Lord, because all of us know that our hearts are wicked and deceitful and that we we can harbor hatred and dislike so easily. Lord, we ask you to deliver us from that. And even in our convictions and our strong stands that we still remain loving and, and lead people to Christ. I pray for those today that need Jesus as their Savior. If they're watching in the venue, if they're watching on television, wherever they might be, that right now you would show them that how much you love them and will forgive them of their sin and save them, give them a new life. Lord, we're always thankful for those that you send our way. If you want them to be part of this fellowship, then you bring them here. If there are those that need to be baptized, God, give them courage to be obedient to you. Right now, Lord, we ask that you touch people's hearts, that you bring them to you. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Would you? His way calls for us to expand the limits of love. It is unconditional. It responds to cursing with blessings. And not only does such a response exemplify Christ-like behavior, but it also exhibits genuine life change, both in thoughts, words, and deeds. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.